Welcome to APQC Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC Podcasts on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lauren Trees, and I'm here with APQC Chairman Carla O'Dell. And last month, I brought this idea to you, Carla, to do some podcasts about knowledge in the news, the knowledge management angle of some big news stories. And you said, we have to do one on the labor shortage. And I hadn't thought about it, but it made so much sense to me as soon as you said it. This is obviously a huge issue, and we could very easily fall down a rabbit hole. So we're going to try to keep things focused on the KM angle and the things that knowledge management professionals can do right now to help address the glaring labor shortage, and more specifically, the knowledge and skill shortages that are, are inherently embedded in that. So Lauren, what I thought I'd do first is just give you a little bit of context on on the, the data around the labor shortage. And there, it's the good news is that it's getting better. More people are back to work. The unemployment rate in the US was 5.4% last month. And it's that's way less than half of what it was in July of 2020. So that's really good news. Uh, almost a million jobs got added last month. And, but there's still 8 million job openings and there's about that same number of people looking for work. The problem is there's a mismatch. And so that's, uh, there are a lot of different theories about what's causing the labor shortage, uh, whether it's you know expensive childcare, fear about COVID-19, uh, generous unemployment benefits in the US, re you know, retirement, people leaving hard hit industries and experienced people are using this opportunity to retire. So here's the knowledge problem that KM was born to solve. As people leave an industry, huge tacit and experiential knowledge leaves. The opportunity for transfer becomes acute if you can catch them before they go, but the ability to transfer that knowledge and grow it in new people is essential. That problem will always be here. It's just highly visible right now. We know that KM can uh, you know, KM programs can rise to the challenge. They did it during uh, the pandemic and the shutdown and we can do it again. And this is an opportunity to learn from best practices. So we think there's four ways that organizations can um, cope with the current labor shortage and perhaps uh, build competency for the future. They all happen to start with A. So one is attract. Everybody needs to attract and retain the best people. 40% of the people out there say they would actually leave their job now if they found a better one. Um, one of the things that attracts people to a job is the investments in their training. And I think Lauren, you've seen this in spades. Absolutely. And especially when we look at younger workers, whether that's millennials or Gen Z, they're really shopping for professional development opportunities. And the knowledge resources that are available to them are really are an important part of their decision about whether they're going to take a job and whether they're going to stay in a job. And sometimes I think we can think about professional development very narrowly from an organizational learning perspective. We're gonna send you to a conference. We are going to send you on a training course. But I think that these younger employees are really looking at this more holistically. This is the generation that's used to learning from YouTube, right? So what kind of learning is broadly available to me? How accessible is knowledge and access to experts and expertise? And how much time am I going to be given to pursue those learning opportunities? 
younger people, they really want to learn in the flow of work and a strong knowledge management presence is so powerful in supporting that. Yes, and I think that's what 25 years of knowledge management has learned is how to do put uh, knowledge in the flow of work so people trip over it when they need it. So that's the first A, you can attract people with good knowledge systems. The second A is to automate those repetitive labor-intensive processes. One, to take the place of uh, people who are not there anymore, but the other is really to um, begin to use the technologies that are available to us. And it's so interesting, APQC has a focus on process management and knowledge management. And what we see over and over again is, first of all, you have to understand your business processes in order to automate them. And that sounds pretty obvious, sounds like a no-brainer, but a lot of people are out there trying to automate work that they do not fundamentally understand. And then on top of that, you have to understand the knowledge inputs and outputs of that process and make sure that the necessary knowledge is documented and that you're exposing it to the bots or whatever system you're putting the automation into. So you need that knowledge and process foundation to do any kind of automation, whether it's robotic process automation or you're looking at implementing AI or more of those intelligent automation forms. So it's get sold as a shortcut to avoid some of that foundational work. But once you get into it, you realize that it makes the foundational work even more important. Yeah, and, that, and it also makes it possible to augment, which is our third A, because if people have better technology and better processes and you've eliminated a lot of the uh, repetitive work that can be done by a machine, then their, pro their productivity goes up. And that's a powerful thing. Well, and it's interesting, we talk about this automation and augmentation on kind of a trajectory where I think when you're looking at maybe lower knowledge intensity jobs, you can automate more of that work. But as you move up that knowledge intensity curve into things like being a scientist or being a doctor, we are not going to automate those jobs away. You need human knowledge, human judgment, human expertise to do those jobs. But there's a lot that we can do to augment those folks. And when you're talking about labor shortages, to let them go further faster, to make them more productive, to allow those people who have the expertise to do more work, to get more done in a shorter period of time. One of the things that we've found uh, with the current labor shortage is that the shortage is most acute in some hin in hidden ways. We're all familiar with the uh, problem with retail and when you go out to eat and hospitality and so on, there are fewer people and help wanted ads everywhere. It's actually the more uh, difficult shortage is the one you're just talking about, Lauren, in the knowledge intensive industries, professional services, consulting, engineering, technical, all the STEM areas uh, are really uh, hurting right now. And they're the ones that we're going to need to be, find a way to augment the experts we have and use their knowledge to help others, which is where we come to the fourth A, the accelerate. We wanna accelerate the process of growing and transferring the knowledge. And that's where we're gonna talk about what KM can do in the next few minutes. Cause the KM's most robust approaches can be repurposed to help close the labor, knowledge and expertise gaps in this emergency. So let's start with a few examples that uh, we have in our back pocket, Lauren. So why don't you start with one from a professional services? 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting because a lot of the approaches we're going to talk about were not necessarily designed to solve a labor shortage, but we see those applications and how you can apply them in a particular way. What I thought of when we started thinking about this podcast was from Mercer, which is a big professional develop, uh, professional services organization that does a lot of HR consulting. And we've done a lot of work with Mercer over the years. They are a three-peat winner of our Excellence in Knowledge Management program. And KM's not necessarily going to help you fill jobs, but it can definitely help you survive with fewer people and maybe bring in some people who may not have all the expertise you would ideally like them to have in a role. And that's something that I think we see over and over again in professional services. And professional services, that's part of their business model. They hire a lot of young, eager beaver people, and they really need the expertise of the organization at their back to come in and do the work that they do and have the confidence to provide recommendations back to organizations. And at Mercer, over the last 18 months, we've just seen a great example of that in the context of the pandemic. They've really leveraged their communities of practice, along with a very robust content base, to support their staff in this hour of need. And when you think about being an HR consultant over the last 18 months, things are changing all the time. And clients are calling you and saying, okay, now X is happening with the pandemic. How do we furlough people? How do we manage a newly remote workforce? We gotta get people back in the office. How do we do that? What are the implications from a legal perspective of the fact that we have 10 employees who just moved to another country because we made their jobs remote? There's all these different things. And what Mercer was able to do was create a global community of practice where parts of the world like China and Italy that were experiencing these challenges first first, were then able to share their lessons learned with parts of the world that were experiencing them later. So these are the kinds of questions that clients are going to ask you when you get to this stage of the pandemic so that those, uh, you know, people could be more ready to for what was coming at them. So I feel like that's the kind of great augmentation of, you know, how you transfer knowledge in the flow without necessarily setting up some big knowledge transfer program. You know, people just went through something, they've learned some lessons, and they're going to be ready to communicate with others confronting the same scenario. And it can save people a lot of that time that they spend scrambling around trying to find answers when they encounter new scenarios. Great example, Lauren. Um, Shepley Bullfinch is another one. They're an engineering and architecture firm that have a lot of very experienced uh, senior architects who have re renovated and created healthcare and educational facilities in all kinds of situations. And they are never, there's never enough experts, Lauren, you know. So Shepley Bullfinch is part of their knowledge management program a few years ago when they were in this huge growth spurt and had a labor shortage, decided they needed to accelerate the rate of learning of the new people and the next spurts, that next generation of experts to be able to uh, be in line for what was needed and to handle the workload. So perfect example for here in our labor shortage. So they did some very targeted interviewing of the experts, but I think the most powerful things they did 
were to involve the novices and the experts in shadowing the experts as they did their work, but also as they did their thinking. So that the novices could hear why experts had made the decisions they had. And talk about augmentation um, with technology. They used virtual reality and augmented reality to literally create a shared environment for the expert and the novice. And they would put on their little VR glasses and they would enter the same room and they would talk, they would listen to the expert talk about what they thought needed to change in that ICU unit or in that educational facility or the meeting rooms. And that was an enormous, to see the same thing is a very powerful, powerful, powerful um, method of knowledge transfer. So they found out what the novices' questions are when they look in a setting like that, that helped the experts respond better, and the novices got to know what experts, quote, see when they walk, walk into a room. So the other thing they did was when uh, they would put together a mentor and a mentee, and an, ex an expert would review a document, for example, and they would talk out loud and let the novices listen and ask questions about why they had made the decisions they had in that particular document or that contract. So the augmentation and the acceleration were where they focused. No, I think it's really powerful. And I think sometimes organizations focus so much on let's get more butts in seats instead of figuring out how can we repurpose some of the staff that we have, allow them to do different and more challenging types of work. How do we get our experts to be able to replicate themselves? There's so many different ways to look at this challenge. But one thing that I was thinking about as we were preparing for this is that if you want to deal with a labor shortage, if you have a shortage of people or a shortage of money, look to the nonprofit sector. They have figured those things out better than most of corporate America or the corporate world. And Teach for America is another organization that we have done a lot of work with that comes to mind here. They're a great example of a lean and mean organization and also a lean and mean KM team that's trying to scale up what they're doing with very limited resources and support as much of the organization as possible, drive productivity and effectiveness across the organization so that they can complete their mission. And part of what their KM team does is really focused on these self-service templates so that individual teams can recognize, hey, maybe we have some specific knowledge needs, we have knowledge gaps, things we haven't documented, things we haven't really thought about. They can understand what those challenges are and then capture and transfer some of that knowledge so that they can train up people within their own team and also expose that knowledge to other teams so they can learn from it and get smarter. And the teams offer, you know, hands-on support for knowledge transfer, the KM team, but they've also developed these knowledge transfer protocols that teams can download and use themselves. So it's very hands-off, self-service, economical, and scalable. And they have everything from before action reviews, um, you know, where they can anticipate challenges before a project starts to your standard after action review, what happened, what went well, what didn't, what could we change, 
cognitive analysis interview protocols where they study, um, you know, expertise and, and capture that from some of their, their true SMEs. And then also an exit storytelling protocol. So as leaders or experts are departing to try to capture some of those stories. And I think all of these are just great examples of things that you can do without a huge amount of effort, without a huge uh, KM team supporting you. You don't even have to have a KM team to put some of these tools in place to really allow individual teams, individual business units to identify and address some knowledge problems that can maybe help you be more productive, uh, you know, and gain some of that efficiency that you need if you're dealing with a labor shortage. Lauren, I've also been very pleased to see how many nonprofits of all kinds, not you know, NGOs, non-government agencies, and and philanthropic nonprofits and healthcare and so on, emergency relief. How many of them have adopted knowledge management programs? And that makes us very happy and feel like we're making a difference as well. So these are great examples. Lauren, kind of give us what your top of, uh, of the heap ideas are about what really has shown for you in these examples. So first and foremost, I think if you want to do this well, you have to have the involvement of the people who are going to be sharing and reusing the knowledge. As a KM team or a learning team, you can't do this in a silo. You have to go out to your stakeholders, figure out what they need, and design solutions for them, and also give them some ownership because you're there to support them and, and ensure they're successful, but you're doing it for them, not for you. And if you're facing a labor shortage, make that part of the value proposition, the what's in it for me, for managers. Yes, we're going to take a little bit of time away from your people in the short run, but that's going to allow your whole team to be more productive in the long run. And, and you really have to communicate that and maybe capture some success stories so that people believe it. And then the second one is that you have to have some knowledge management people embedded in the business. And that doesn't mean they have to have KM titles. It doesn't mean that you have to change your organizational structure, though maybe those things make sense. But you have to find people out in the, in the different parts of the organization who understand enough about the business and what it needs and also enough about the potential knowledge management solutions or interventions that they can make the match and kind of match that problem to the right solution. And that's a big part of solving these problems that often exist at the local level, at the team level, not at the big E enterprise level. And then the third piece of this quick and dirty guide, you know, is just to balance the urgent and the important. Um, you know, you can do something in an emergency situation, um, you know, but it's a lot better if you've been doing it for, for 10 years. So, um, you know, people should feel prepared to step into these roles on a continuous basis. And that's how you really address labor shortage in the long run. I think that's true. I, I want to just reiterate how much we can learn from other organizations and that we um, at APQC know what we know because of our work with them. So we wanna invite others to join with us in learning from other organizations who've walked this path before. And if you're interested in this topic or you'd like to learn more, please visit us at apqc.org.